Well, good evening, everybody. Everybody having a good weekend so far? Amen, yes. Good, good. Let's all stand as we bring our prayers, our petitions, and our praises to the Lord in song. Yeah, you can clap a little. Yeah. Well, we've been deceived by the devil too long. We're gonna tear the devil's feet. That's right, sing it. So let's go Jesus. 
Brother Kirk, would you open us up in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this day that you have given us. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We just thank you, Lord, for these precious hearts that's here tonight. We just lift our, our voices and our hearts and our praise up to you, Lord, for everything that you've done. We thank you. In Jesus' name, God. Amen. Amen.
that we can trust you. Lord, this week as we celebrate the, the coming of the Holy Spirit, Lord, we just are in awe of you, Lord, that you would love us so much that you became one of us. You showed us how to live. You died a sinless life. You died sinless to give us a life that we could not achieve on our own. Lord, and we celebrate the coming of your Holy Spirit to empower us to walk like that. We thank you so much. We bless your name.
Yes, you are, Lord. 
Oh 
just want to thank you for your presence here tonight. Thank you for being in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would show us how to crush our enemies with the love of the gospel, Lord, that we would not be afraid, we would not shirk, and we would not fear men, but we would love someone enough to reach out our hand and let them know, whether good or bad, the result, Lord, you're in control of that. We just need to trust you with the message that you've entrusted to us. And you'll do the perfect work that you need to do. And Lord, I just pray that you'd empower this body right now in Jesus' name to be that light. Strengthen us, Lord. Prepare our hearts for the message that's coming. Pray that you bless the speaker. Just ask, Lord, for the many blessings that you have that you would give us, that you would give to our family members that maybe aren't speaking with us or, or estranged. Lord, we lift them up and we ask you to pray. For, we pray for our exes, Lord. We pray for anybody that we've hurt or damaged in the, in, the, in the course of this life. We just trust you with the results, whether they talk to us ever again or not. We trust you, Lord. We thank you, and I thank you for these brothers and sisters. And ask that you continue to lead and guide in your special way. And we love you, Lord. We lift up this praise to you in Jesus' name. And all God's men and women say, amen. Amen. Before we are seated, someone say going up. Going up. Going up. No, say it like you mean it. Going up. Going up. Going up. The, the whole thing about that song and just what we've been talking about in just in worship alone, giving glory and honor to God, but declaring that we're not beat down, that we're not going to be robbed or lied to, that we're actually going to stand for the kingdom of God. And the one thing that the enemy can't stand is when people praise the Lord and exalt his name. So before we go on to the next point of our service, let's look back upon this week and recognize just how much God has brought us through. And not to stand on the other side and go, oh, I made it, but to be encouraged to say, you know what? He brought me this far and he's leading me out to go reclaim what has been stolen, to go take back what has been taken from me, and to begin to share the true light of the gospel to free all the people that are around me. If you know God has been victorious and bringing you through this week, Give him a shout of praise, praise and gratitude and thanksgiving in this place today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's interesting how people would overlook what goes on in this room, but we know victory because we know what God has brought us out of. We know what God has lifted us from and delivered us from, and we praise God for it. We declare it. It's not always pretty. But where we was, wasn't always pretty. And we're going to shout from the mountaintops, the rooftops. The, don't shout in the middle of the street. That's not a good idea. There's crazy drivers here. But everywhere God gives us the opportunity to lift our voice, let's lift our voice and praise him for what he's done, what he is doing, and what he is about to do. Hallelujah. You all may be seated. Hallelujah. Tonight, we are going to be, uh, you know what? I didn't get the daily uh, briefing from Kevin as to who's going to lead us in a time of prayer. But it looks like Blake has a microphone. 
So let's welcome our brother Blake as he comes to lead us in a time of prayer. All right, the little green buttons. All right, we're working. How's everyone doing today? You know, as I as I look over here at Johnny, that does this almost all the time, and Ray, and I don't have all the words to say like they do. But I don't think it's a I don't think it's a not a competition, as Sekou would tell me. Um, Prayer of faith. I like, I like that song, Prayer of Faith. When the Lord is with, Lord is with me, who can be against me? Um, and he's right. Well, we, ought, we should always give praise to the Lord, no matter good or bad that happens in our week. Just no matter what, even the praise. Um, so let's start. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this time that you give us, Lord God, to not only come together and worship you, Lord God, but also... Lift up the praises, Lord God, to you, and lift up our prayer requests to you, Lord God. <clears throat> Lord God, you you know all, Lord God. You are with every single one of us, always. You never leave us, nor forsake us. Heavenly Father, lift up all the ones that uh, are sick right now, Lord God, and they're in need of healing. Just lift them up to you, Lord God, that you comfort them and and bring them the healing that they that they need, Lord God, and and the joy that only you can give us, Lord God. <clears throat> I lift up all those that are are, in, are looking for jobs, Lord God, or, or have a job and, and things are looking a little rough, Lord God, that uh, you would bring comfort to them as well, Lord God, and, and peace, and knowing that, of course, you are always here with us, Lord God, and that you have our lives in your hands, and you are the, the God of timing. Heavenly Father, uh, we lift up all the families to you, Lord God, of the loved ones that, and loved ones that, that, of the people that were not able to come home, Lord God, from overseas in the wars, Lord God. Um, it can be a tough thing to, to lose somebody, Lord God. Um, we thank you for everything that you do for us, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. It's wonderful seeing uh, Blake come up here to lead prayer and uh, work with us in a time of prayer. And as he did that, um, I was reminded of just how many people in this church are contributing in so many different ways. Um, we obviously have uh, people who are older, um, some seasoned veterans. Um, some of them I'm going to have a nice chat with about uh, coming out of retirement in order to bless people. But we also have young, <laughs> I think he kind of knows now what's going on, He's shaking his head. <laughs> um, we also have young people that are learning and growing and, and you'd be surprised, I mean, with what they're capable of and what they're doing. And I just want to urge each and every one of us that, that's in this place, in this church, to know that as Blake said, this isn't the end of the story. This isn't come to this church and just sit down and, and just rest. 
This is training for each and every one of us. So if you look at this church and think, okay, well, we're in a small building. It's a small setting. It's just real cozy. This is training. This is leading us and guiding us and developing us for when we go out and deal with a bigger theater of combat. When we go out and deal with the world and deal with um, the issues that are outside of here, whether it be um, somebody involved in vehicular homicide or whether it be just somebody that you love that is sick or traveling, all these different areas are areas of service and ministry. And we are learning in this place how to be the servants and sons and daughters that God has called us to be. This is a wonderful opportunity, and I hope that uh, the adversary doesn't lie to you and, and, and deceive you into thinking, okay, well, this is just um, what I'm going to do in order to pass the time because this is all I can do. But in all actuality, you're learning, you're developing, you're growing for a lot bigger things that you and I have to deal with than just the things that we deal with in here. And these, the things that we deal with in here are big, but there is more coming. So I'm not um, the speaker today, so I will end my soapbox with that um, because it is the last Saturday of the month. And so again, in watching and, and being a part of and receiving from other people sharing, um, this, this weekend or this week, I um, did a little round table phone call with everybody and everybody had things going on and, and I respect that. But just the very fact of talking to people and, and seeing where their heart was at and seeing where their head was at. Um, and if you're wondering what I'm talking about, it was going over and asking certain people, it's the last Sunday of the Saturday of the month, and um, are you prepared or has God blessed you with anything? And it wasn't, with, with the exception of one person, it wasn't flat out right no. The one person was no. Uh, <laughs> But we're working on that because the one person did say that God did not give them anything at this time. Um, but initially, their answer was no. But it was seeing where the focus was for everybody. One person working on getting through and getting free of certain things so that they can move freely. Um, and one person who said, you know, I thank you, but God has me in a different direction. And it's just the very fact that even though they're not up here um, ministering or not doing anything in particular that you may see, they're active. There's something that they're doing so that um, they can contribute and bless um, the congregation of God, not just in here, but with everybody that we have contact with. That's a blessing. They're not just sitting idle. They're not sitting idle. They're serving and they're occupying until Christ comes back. However, I did reach out to one individual and didn't really give him much of a choice, but that was okay because he's ready in season and out of season. So let's welcome our brother Mark as he comes to lead us um, in the word of God tonight. After Seku went through all that, I said, oh, I get to stand up and tell them all that you got last choice to speak to you tonight. <laughs> That's me, last choice. Hola, hermanos. Um, they're working on it. <laughs> so, I need, to, I need to turn this thing on too. 
It's been an interesting week. Before Sekou called up, um, we had to get permission to talk to one another, and that occurred. That occurred this week, so that was a blessing. And and I was doing my morning devotionals. I think it was. I actually think it was Wednesday morning, and. I read it, I read something, and I went, you know, God, this is something that needs to be shared with the church. And then he called. <laughs> and so being ready in season and out is just a matter of, of being ready and paying attention to what the Spirit is saying. Uh, unfortunately, sometimes when he talks to me, I get a little confused. So if you get a little confused tonight, it's simply because I'm a little confused. Um, Let's see if this works. Are we, are we ready? Oh, there it is. <laughs> I don't know what I did. All right. Um, the title is, What? That is not my God. And the inconvenient truth about what happens when we seek satisfaction in the stuff of life rather than in the giver of life. And with that, let's, I'd like to pray for just a moment. Father, you have brought us all here, and I ask that you would encourage our hearts, that you would, that you would speak to my heart, that you would speak to each one of these men's hearts. Father, as we look in your word, I ask, Lord God, that as we look there, that we see the, your words for us where we're at right today and that father you have us in your hand you've been caring for us you're continuing to care for us and you will always care for us and you meet our deepest need and i just pray that you would guide me as i as i speak in christ's name amen so welcome brothers and sister uh, we're going to look into God's Word to see how it will instruct us and rest assured that God's Word was reading me during my preparation for this. And he took a spade of his Word and dug into the garden of my thoughts and he shined a very bright spotlight of his grace on my thoughts. He called me to draw closer to him by accepting his instruction. Okay. I don't know what button to press. Okay. And it's my prayer tonight that God's word will accomplish what Paul told Timothy where he says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And if you go back a few years, 1559 to be exact, a pastor in Switzerland wrote this. The human mind is, so to speak, a perpetual forge of idols. That was John Calvin. It was written in 1559. Today we say the human heart is an idol-making factory. And I have found that to be true in my own life. I think it's true of all of us simply because we live in a sin-soaked world and we aren't completely transformed. We have not been completely sanctified yet. So 
today, we've got a, I've got a couple of stories to share. And please, no one take offense at these stories. They're not aimed at you. <laughs> they're, they're metaphors, all right? <clears throat> there was this fellow I worked with when I first got out of college, and he has an interesting shadow box above his desk. Uh, it was a, a deep-set thing with glass on the front. And it had a small hammer attached to a, to a string on the front of it. And inside that box was a single cigarette. And there was an inscription that read, in case of emergency, break glass. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. So I asked him how, it came to, how he came to have that. Well, he, he had been a lifetime smoker and spent most of his waking hours around those who had smoked. He was never away from smoke. And for some reason, a health reason, I think, uh, he decided to quit. And as you know, quitting is hard work. And so all of his friends who smoked, they thought he was crazy and that he would soon be joining them back out on the porch smoking another, smoking another one. And a week went by, no smokes. And another week went by. And after a couple of weeks, his friends got together and, and got him his emergency smoke and they gave it to him. <laughs> and he promptly mounted it atop his desk so he could be reminded all the time of that. There was another, another fellow I know who decided he also would quit smoking. And he bought some smokes. And then when they were done, he was done. He ceased smoking on that day. So I asked him many years later, I, I asked him when he had quit smoking. And he, he had kind of a funny reply. He said, well, I haven't quit smoking. I just haven't smoked in the last 26 years three months, six days, and 32 minutes. But who's counting? <laughs> Tomorrow may be a different story. Then the last one was <laughs> a number of folks that I know say, we're going to quit smoking, and it goes something like this. I'm going to quit by cutting back from two packs a day to one pack a day, and then I'm going to reduce that down to 10 smokes a day, and then I'm going to go down to five, and then I'm going to go down to one, and then I'll quit. And maybe I'll try gum to help out with the cravings. And, and humorously, for some of them, what that meant was that they would only buy that many cigarettes. They would bum smokes. And as you all know, bum smokes don't count. It's only the ones you buy. <laughs> but for the ones that did get down to one a day, it was seemingly impossible for them to abandon the last one. And I often ask myself, well, why is that? Giving up that last one was giving up on a part of their life that they were unwilling to part with. Their mind wanted to keep it, to dwell on it, to savor it, to relish it. I chose smokes as a metaphor, not to pick on anyone, as I said, but just to illustrate a point. I don't smoke, but like you, I have other things that I deal with. The question we might ask ourselves is, what in my life can't I just give up? What have I made 
an idol of. And we're going to start by reading in Jeremiah chapter 2 and include some other scriptures as well. And as we do, you might ask yourself these questions. What is this scripture teaching me? What is God pointing out that I think, feel, or do that his words reveal is wrong? What is God exposing my heart? What is God exposing in my heart that he wants to correct, giving me a new way to do something? And then what is God asking me to exchange for his righteousness? Lastly, what work of God is he calling me to participate in? And those are all based upon that scripture we looked at before in 2 Timothy. With that, let's start reading. If we could stand. All right. Jeremiah chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I remember concerning you the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothals, your following after me in the wilderness through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first of his harvest. All who ate of it became guilty. Evil came upon them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What injustice did your fathers find in me that they went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty? They did not say, where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and of pits, through a land of drought and of deep darkness, through a land that no one crossed and where no man dwelt? I brought you into the fruitful land to eat its fruit and its good things. But you came and defiled my land and my inheritance you made an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? And those who handled the law did not know me. The rulers also transgressed against me. And the prophets prophesied by Baal and walked after things that did not profit. Therefore, I will yet contend with you, declares the Lord, and with your sons' sons I will contend. For cross to the coastlands of Kittim and see, and send to Kedar and observe closely, and see if there has been such a thing as this. Has a nation changed gods when they were not gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this, and shudder. Be very desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. The uh, second reading is from Exodus chapter 20. You all know this, or probably knows this. First and second commandment. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. We were just, remember, we were just reminded of that by Jeremiah. You shall have no other gods before me. We saw that Israel had disobeyed that in Jeremiah. 
You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. We saw in Jeremiah that, they, that the Israelites had substituted Baal. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. All right, let's go ahead and have a seat. Okay, there's a whole lot to digest in this. <laughs> and... Jeremiah uses a lot of imagery. We, we can't be thinking of what he said as just a historical narrative. It's not just a story. He's using language more like a poet would use. And he's using this really strong, vivid imagery. So when you read something, you have to think, well, what does he mean by that? Just like when I talked about smokes, I wasn't really talking about smokes. I was talking about other stuff. I just happened to use that as the tool to deliver it. it. It's more, so with that in mind, let's unpack a little bit of what we read. The first thing that we should consider is God says in verse nine that he will contend with his people. I want you to think that what he is saying is, I'm gonna have a trial. I'm gonna contend with you, my people, in a trial. There are accusations, there are denials or defenses, and there's evidence. One serious accusation is in that last verse we read, verse 13. He uses water as a metaphor, and God makes an accusation. His people have committed two evils, forsaking their faithful saving God and substituting other things in his place. The imagery here is really powerful because in the days that this was written, they thought that they had three sources of water. And the three sources were running water. That's the first one from a river, a stream, or a spring. And people did not cause these to flow. God did. People get to use this clean, this best water and they don't have to worry or work to find it. God just provides it. He says that he is the source of the water. His peace bring, comes to them. He is the pure source of all that sustains life. Let's put that in perspective. People need water. God satisfies their needs with pure running water. People have needs, other needs, and God supplies their needs based on his understanding of them and his love for them. But God's people rejected God's provision, his means of satisfying them. They rejected his shalom, the peace and care that he gave them. Instead, they turn to another means to satisfy their wants. The other two sources of water in those days were wells and cisterns. Well, a well has to be dug. You have to expend effort to dig a well. 
And water still flowed from outside the well into the well, but you had to work to get at it. And this was the second best source of water. The third one was cisterns. I, the, <laughs> where my father was born and I grew up down the way, we had a, there was a cistern in that house. It sort of was supposed to be a well, but it really wasn't. Instead, they collected water from the roof that came down and they stored it in the cistern. You could not drink that water. A cistern is a man-made structure that's dug into the ground and it's sealed up so that it will hold water. Runoff water is funneled into the cistern to store it. And this is the least desirable kind of water because it stagnates and stuff grows in it. This water is often not healthy to drink. And God says, instead of the living water that I give you, you labor to dig and make your own place to store water. I call that rebellion. That's a rebellion. And it's foolish rebellion. You got this free stuff and you decide, I'm going I'm to work hard to get this stuff over here. But God tells them instead of trusting and seeking him for life, they look to idols of their own making. And it gets worse. Doing all that work should produce some water, something that would satisfy the human thirst. But no, what God's people did was build a broken cistern that didn't hold water. They were useless. What they were doing was useless to satisfy their soul's desire. And God says to his people, You've made your life about pursuing ways to satisfy yourselves, but wound up with nothing. You rejected me, the source of life, and worked hard to substitute what does not give life. Now, none of us would do that, would we? <laughs> nah, no, no. Well, maybe only once or twice in the last five seconds or so. <laughs> We've all done this. We've all looked to satisfy our wants in other places because we didn't trust God to give us what we do we needed. I, I mean, what we wanted. I, I don't think that's in his job description. I haven't read that in scripture. God will give you everything you want. He promises to meet our needs, but not our wants. Another accusation is in verse 23. God gores the Israelites for going after Baal. The Baals were a, a pagan, it was, he was a pagan god whose religion was practiced by many of the people who surrounded Israel. What do we see up there? How can you say, I am not defiled? I have not gone after the balls. That's what Israel says to God. God has just told you something. Remember, this is a trial. That's their defense. What comes next is God presents evidence. He says, look at your way in the valley. Know what you have done. Oh, You know, Peter tried this with Jesus once. And he says, no, I'm not going to deny you, I promise. 
When you're talking with God, it's no use to practice denial. It may be a river in Egypt, but, it, but he knows where it's at, and it doesn't, it's not something that is a source of living water. And I know, we're, we're better than these people. We're better than them. We'd never tell God that he was wrong to his face. Or would we? Well, So God brings the exhibits. And this exhibit is really, really strong. He likens his people's idolatry to wild animals in heat. See that? You're a swift young camel entangling her ways, a wild donkey accustomed to the wilderness that sniffs the wind in her passion. In the time of her heat, who can turn her away? All who seek her will not become weary. In her mouth, they, or in her month, they will find her. God is saying, you've got a problem. You, you've got this idol in your life, these idols in your life, and you are hunting them down like a wild animal. That's my evidence of what you're doing. It's no use denying it. But let's not go down that path. Instead, consider, I want us to consider our idols. Just giving that thought a consideration gives us the ability to see our need of teaching, of reproof, of correction, and of training in righteousness. I'll bet if we give it a half-hearted try, we could probably come up with thousands of idols. But I've narrowed it down to a mere five types. And those five types are connection or relationship idols, covetousness idols, control and power idols, creation or circumstance idols, and created in the mind idols. We'll continue looking into this passage and see how Israel bent the knee to various idols. And we'll start with a few common ones. The first is the connection or relationship idol. All right. In verse 5 it says, Thus says the Lord, What, injust what injustice did your fathers find in me, God, that they went far from me and walked after emptiness and became empty. Here the people who God redeemed stopped looking for instruction and a satisfaction in God and went away from him. Instead, they sought counsel in themselves. Their priests and prophets stopped looking for God and his way and substituted themselves in its place. Connection or relationship idols occur when someone other than God becomes so important to us that we look to them rather than to God. Some examples might be in a dating or a marriage relationship. Do you think, of, do you think that your spouse can satisfy all your needs? Do you think they should try? Do you think that God created people to satisfy your inner longings? Do you think God created you to satisfy all their inner longings? 
Can you cause them to give up an addiction? Or can you give them peace with their creator? Can you read their minds and give them what they want before they ask? No, and neither can I. No man can. God has created us with eternity in mind. Our minds can't even fathom eternity. But God planned, he planted a seed in our minds about eternity. And he's the one who gave us a hope for spending eternity with him. If we accept his provision to get there. That provision is the finished work of Christ. It's not the work that a friend or a pastor or a spouse or a significant other or any other human being can ever satisfy. <clears throat> Only Christ <coughs> satisfies God's demand for justice. Christ paid for us to have a relationship with, of peace with our God. We need have no fear, no worry, because of Christ's work on the cross. When we need advice on what to do, we should, we should seek God's counsel in prayer and supplication. When we need forgiveness, we seek God. And we talk with him. When we need strength to overcome a temptation, we call out to him. We read his word to transform our minds with his thoughts and show us his paths for us. The alternative is to look to people to give us what only God can give. In doing this, we're going to another broken cistern expecting living water. But it doesn't work that way. We need to go to the source of living water. So relationship idols are really common. I know I've had some. Probably some of you have had some too. But the next one is the covetousness of stuff idol. I'm going to grab a drink. Covetousness of stuff. So these are just another type of idol that we begin to trust for our contentment, our happiness, and our satisfaction. And I'm pretty sure that we've all had nice, close relationships with these idols. Some random thoughts that I wrote down as I was thinking about this. Well, I could be happy if I got a newer car. If I only had a new stereo, I'd be satisfied. I need another pair of shoes to really pop out in the crowd. A toupee would at least give me a chance. I need a bigger space to be more efficient at something. I need a better bike so I can exercise, not that kind of bike. In verse 7, we see that God brought the Israelites into a place where he supplied all their needs. They didn't have to sow anything. There were grapes growing, you know, you remember Aaron and all the spies who came out and they brought all sorts of wonderful produce. And rather than accept his provisions, 
God says, you defiled the land. They brought in idols. They didn't trust that God's ways were better than their ways. They thought they knew better. And I think we're like them. We think we know better than God what we need. We want what we don't have, so we justify getting it somehow. And if we do injustice to someone along the way, well, that's just the price of getting what I need. I could emotionally devastate someone. I could steal from them. There's a lot of ways of doing injustice to someone. The problem is that our definition of need is all messed up. We don't need much. We want a lot, but we don't need much. The Apostle James, if you remember, he speaks to this, talking about you want, but you don't have, you want the wrong motives, etc., etc. And Jesus also speaks this, to this in Matthew 6. He says, <clears throat> Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where rust and moth destroy, and where thieves break in and seal, steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your heart, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. <clears throat> Brothers, we can never be satisfied by stuff. We can never be contented by looking for more. Our contentment has been purchased by Christ. He has secured our entrance into eternity, our forgiveness of sins, our sanctification, and our glorification. We are at peace with God based on his work alone. There is no thing that can take his rightful place in our lives. Christ's advice to lay up treasures in heaven is a correction that we all need to make. <coughs> the first part of doing so is to admit that I have a stuff idol. That I'm putting my faith in a created thing to give me satisfaction that only God can give. And that is a hard thing to do because sometimes my logic goes something like this. I'm a Christian. I believe God has purchased my salvation. He's made me righteous. So therefore, I can't have an idol in my life. It's circular reasoning and it's false. We're sinners saved by grace. Our sanctification is not complete. Our glorification is not complete. God's not through with us yet. We live in the not yet part of things. And so during that not yet part of things, we struggle. And we have the Holy Spirit to help guide us. And sometimes what we have to do is we have to agree with the Spirit and deny our flesh and deny our minds that are con constantly trying to confuse us into believing things that are not true. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, we can have things and we can enjoy things. What we need to realize though is that they cannot satisfy our inner longings. 
In fact, we may use them to gloss over those for a moment. But there's always going to be that inner emptiness until we trust Christ for the living water that restores our souls. Okay, we've looked at connection and relationship idols and covetousness of stuff idols. And next in this parade is of common idols is the control and power idol. Oh, you might wonder what these are. In verse 18, we see them. But now what are you doing on the road to Egypt? To drink the waters of the Nile? Or what are you doing on the road to Assyria? To drink the waters of the Euphrates? Well, you know what? God's people often resorted to, to allying themselves with what they thought were stronger neighbors for protection from their enemies to get or to get some ideas on better government yeah, like desiring a king for example or like uh, adopting Baal or sacrificing children to Moloch those were all foreign things that did not come from God but they came from their neighbors the problem is that when we seek to satisfy our protection, our sustenance, or desires apart from what the Lord provides, we're making what we consider a greater power an idol. Today we might think that a court is what protects us. We might think that the law protects us. We might think that the ACLU or NARSOL or some other organization has all the power to protect us. Some trust in chariots. Some trust in horses. But where do we trust? In the name of the Lord our God. That is to say, we trust in his character, his person, his power. We trust that he has everything that we need. We're not going to find what we need anywhere else. And trust me, Israel is trying. That's another one of the evidences that God presented in court and said, this is what you're doing. There's no use denying it. Just admit it and then correct it. We may even think that if we could just get everything to go my way, then I would have peace and hope and security. If I could just do things my way and control it all. Man, I, I walked in that, that thing for years. <clears throat> if I could just control it all, I'd be content. Because after all, I'd be getting my own way. Trouble is, when we look at ourselves or others to fulfill what only God can do, we've made an idol of ourselves or them. And we will only be building more broken cisterns that can't meet our inner needs. Because only God can do that. Christ came to give life and life more abundant and free. He did not come to create an earthly kingdom where everything goes my way. Instead, he gave us his spirit so that we can endure the trials of life. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit 
so that we might walk in righteousness and peace with God. Christ purchased our salvation by paying our sin debt. This freed us from the bondage to Satan. It freed us from our sin nature so that we can become overcomers. Our desire for control or seeking someone more powerful than us as a substitute for God is rebellion, it's sin, and it won't work. It just leaves us longing for only what God can provide. The only higher power that we need comes from and through God. He is the only one with the knowledge and the strength and the love to meet our inner needs. Man-centered creations are no substitute, although God can use these for his glory. Old Testament, we see how God even used the enemies of his enemies to bring him glory. So thus far, we've looked at idols based on connection or relationships, covetousness of stuff, and control and power. Next up are the idols of creation and circumstance. Let's see if this works. Ta-da! All right. Mm. There it is. <laughs> it doesn't work quite the same as on the computer. I'll just let you know. <laughs> In Romans 1, Paul says this. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. We can look at creation to see the evidence of the creator, which is what scripture tells us. But we need to understand that creation testifies to the creator it is not the creator. Mother Earth will not save us. Science will not rescue us. We cannot save ourselves. God allows us to care for creation and he provides for us through creation. Science and knowledge are useful tools, but they are no substitute for God. Keeping all nature in a state as it is today is portrayed as a noble goal, but it's a false idea. History shows that the world is always changing. History tells us that man has not been the change agent of all the changes in the past. It is a delusion to think that we have what it takes to run the earth so all creation works right. We aren't that smart. When you try to do that, whose place are you trying to take? God's. Because only God can do that. He is the creator, designed everything just right and so that it works as it should. Worshiping creation is a fool's errand. Creation cannot satisfy our inner thirst. Only God can. The same is true of circumstances. Hmm. We might think that if only certain things happened in a certain way, we would be satisfied. 
you know. If only I won the Powerball and got that $200 million, I would be confident and content, and I'd be able to do so much for God. If only I hadn't caught that bad break and gotten injured. If only that person hadn't complained. If only my boss wasn't such a nitpicker, I'd be content. When we think in this way, we are making circumstances the idol that we, will, that we believe will satisfy us. Nothing, hear this, nothing can be further from the truth. The folks of old used to make or use a different word than we use. They didn't use the word circumstance. They used the word providence. And providence is orchestrated by God. It is his hand that moves the events of everything. His hand, his choice, his redemption, his salvation. <clears throat> he allows you to be tempted to strengthen you. He provides you the way to overcome. <clears throat> when we trust in him to orchestrate our lives, when we understand that he works all things for good to those who love him, it is then that we become content and at peace with all the things that life throws at us, that we experience in life. We're satisfied <clears throat> that he is on the throne and he has it all under control. Hmm. So we've covered idols based on connection and relationships, covetousness of stuff idols, control, power idols, and creation and circumstance. And the last one, the last type of idols, are those which are created in our minds. And I think, again, we're all familiar with those. Because these are idols that are not physical entities. They're in our imagination. One translation calls them in another place vain imaginations. James describes some of them as the lust of the flesh. Many addictions would it fit into this category. These are the things that in our mind would satisfy us. For some, it's to be highly thought of by others. For some, it's to be wanted by others. For some, it's the perfect church. Old saying, if you ever, wanna, if you ever find a perfect church, don't join it. It'll get messed up the day that you do. Okay. Maybe you can relate to the idol of sexual satisfaction. How about the pursuit of pleasure? Being left alone or sought after by important people. <clears throat> How about another one? The idea that revenge will satisfy me. You ever had one of those moments when you're, you're talking with your boss and you're like, I hope a truck runs over him on his way home. You know, <laughs> something, revenge. It's this common thing, but it's, it's, a, it's an idol. It's a vain imagination. Each of these mind-created images are illusions we create that we think will satisfy us, and they will never do so. 
When we put our confidence in our inward thoughts, we begin looking in the wrong place for our satisfaction. We will never be able to be satisfied with ideas of our own making. I mean, how many of you would have thought that Jesus should come and die on a cross for you? Paul says, that's foolishness to man, but it's what to us? Salvation. We're not God. We're not able to see the future, but he can, and he knows what we need. The transient thoughts that we have are like vapors that vanish in an instant when a wind comes and hits them. Rather, we need to spend time learning about God and his ways. We need to have our minds transformed into something new. We need to dwell on what God has given us in his word so that we might know his thoughts and his ways. In this way, we can be satisfied knowing that our creator is giving us new life and fitting us for an eternity with him. So, <laughs> the conclusion. Idols take the place of God and can never meet our actual needs. The things that are within me are fleeting and they vanish like vapors in the wind. And so the within me captivations are those idols. Connection, relationship idols, covetousness of stuff idols, control and power idols, creation and circumstance idols, and created in the mind idols. On the other side of that, though, is what actually satisfies. In order to meet the inward needs, my inward needs that God has placed in me and in you, we have to look outside of ourselves. And the outside of ourselves starts with Christ. You need to understand that I was created I was created for himself he created me for himself he chose me he canceled my debts he purchased my salvation he forgave my sins and he creates a hope for eternity with him those are not ideas that I had I never thought of them God brought them to me. And he gave me scripture to show me what's in his mind and to help me transform my mind and transform your mind. It's a great encouragement to read how, what Christ has done. It's a great encouragement to, to understand all that he has done. So let's look to God who gave us Jesus to give us living water to satisfy our souls. It's Jesus, and only Jesus, that can do this. We need to step out of our own spotlight and turn ourselves and turn others to him for, our, for their satisfaction. And with that, what do I always end with? That's our choice, brothers and sisters. Our choice is focus on me and the stuff around me or focus on Jesus. Jesus is not an idol, he's God. And he'll satisfy your soul and he'll bring you into God's presence 
for eternity. And when we talk to others, and when we walk, let our lives point to that place, to that only place where salvation and hope is found. Thank you, brothers. this microphone because I'm going to have him keep that microphone for just a second uh, so don't get too comfortable the as I was trying to be like John and type my notes on this thing here this contraption um, just on the first one it struck me the connection and relationship items and the overall analogy of forsaking the living waters and building cisterns which can't hold no water, broken cisterns. And it was interesting because the first thing that came to my mind is a term that the millennials use um, when somebody decides to post material on the internet for attention, they call them thirsty. How ironic that we're using a term in a worldly sense of being thirsty but really describing what that person actually is they're seeking attention from something that is never going to fulfill that thirst and it led to a level of okay Sekou and for all of us that we could look at this and say you know what there are things that we are thirsting after that we think are going to satisfy that thirst and then we are upset and angry and disgusted and full of shame because they never do. But yet for some oddball reason, in a couple days, we try it again because maybe this time we'll hit the jackpot and it doesn't happen. And we do this with any number of things but for some reason, in that area of our life, we don't do that with Jesus, with the source of living water. So tonight, before we pray and before we dismiss, I'm going to ask Mark to come back up here, just when he got comfortable. And before we do the benediction, I'm going to ask everybody to stand. And some of y'all may think that I'm a little odd, um, sometimes a little woo-hoo at, at times, but I'm a firm believer in the fact that what you hear when you come to this service or when you go anywhere, what that person who is speaking, if they have done business with God, that God gives them something that is not just information, it's impartation. It's there not only for you to hear with your ears, but to hear with the spirit, because ultimately that is where your spiritual education is going to come from. And when you hear it, it is not something that is just uh, uh, an idle word. When God sends forth his word, it does not go out void. So tonight, 
as we have heard about idols that distract us and take us away from the fountain of living water, I guarantee you, and I can be so bold as to say that, that each and every man who has listened to the Spirit has had some level of conviction on his heart to say, you know what, Lord, I believe, but I know that there's areas where I thirst after something else. So tonight, I'm going to ask our brother Mark, the one who brought the word in the first place, to pray for each and every man and woman in this room who is ready to offer up that idol, to break down that Asherah pole, to destroy that grove, to burn that calf, and to return back to the fountain of living water. I'm going to ask our brother Mark to pray for each and every one of us today. Father, we come before you as men who struggle with idols. Father, we, we come to you and we just ask, Father, that as you have exposed our hearts, that we would trust in you because you have promised, Father, that you have made us to be overcomers. Yes. You've given us your spirit, Lord God, that when we put our trust in you, when we put our faith in you, in you, when we stop looking to ourselves for the strength and the power to overcome, that you have already given us your spirit yes. so that we might overcome. And I pray, Father, for each man and each woman in this place, Father, and those who listen, Father, that you would show them your face that tonight that today right where they're at as you deal with their hearts with that idol that they are they have succumbed to over and over and over again father that you would break their hearts that you would break their will that you would break their pride that father in those in the place of those things that your spirit would come and fill them up with the power to overcome. And then in doing so, they take no credit for the work that you have done. Whether it be pornography, whether it be coveting wealth, whether it be a person in their life that they revere more than they should, whether it be a sickness, whether it be their past, whether it be a desire to be known and have a, a bright future, Father, we bring all of them to you and we lay them down at your feet and we look to you, the source of living water, to fill us up. And to allow us to overcome, to see and worship you, and in so doing, show the rest of the world the salvation that you have brought. Yes. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. We serve an awesome God, and sometimes we allow the world and things to distract us from God. But the very fact that God pleaded 
with his people and showed them this is what you're doing and this is what you're missing out on. He didn't do that like we do dogs and cats rubbing their faces in mistakes. He did that because he wanted to plead with his people to actually see what their actions were causing. And he chastened them like he chastens us. Not because he's vindictive, but because he loves. I hope that each and every one of us see as we go out this week, not just the idol in the glass case that says breaking case of emergency. <laughs> I didn't write that part down, but I remember that. But also remember the father who says, come back to love. Come back to fullness. Come back to peace. Come back to joy that you can't get from anywhere else except from me, who you were ultimately created to be not only in relationship with, but to receive the fullness of. Let's lift our hands for the benediction. Now may the Lord, may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever, let the church say, amen, and God bless you.